Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Hello, I'm glad you're here. The Torah begins with a discussion of three very great people. There's Adam Harishon, the very first man. There's Noah, the person who saves the world and seemingly destroys it at the same time. There's Avraham Avinu, Abraham, the father of monotheism and the very first Jew. And what is the narrative that connects all three of them? In other words, what... And so the question is, what story is the unfolding of these three lives telling about the origins of humanity and of the human condition and about all of us today and what we have to focus on in order to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. So let's start with Adam Arishan. Now, I think that there's a very revealing episode that doesn't get discussed so much because it's so way out. It's like, it's so wild. So we have to kind of really be able to focus on what is really being said here. And I want to offer my understanding of it. So this is in regards to Adam's naming of the animals. Now, Rashi offers a medrash there, a rabbinical teaching. And remember, all rabbinical teachings are true. The only question is, what level are they true on? In other words, perhaps the event that they're describing did not happen. Maybe they did. But as Rabbi Green put it one time, the rabbis were desperate to communicate. And so if they phrase a medrash in a particular way, even in a shocking way, that doesn't mean that necessarily happened, but it does mean that they are really going out of their way to communicate a truth to us. And this is the best way that they found to do it. So with that in mind, what does it say regarding Adam naming the animals? And it says that whatever name that he gave them, that's the name that remained. And on a very, very deep level, this is before we ate from the tree of knowledge and the whole world was had this crystalline purity to it. And we know that God created the world with the energy of the letters of the olive base, the Hebrew alphabet. And what Adam was able to do was to see into each object and he could see which letters God used to make that particular thing. And so as much as he was naming the animals, in a, in a deeper way, he was reading the essence of the animals and the divine forces, the letters that were within them, and that was their name. So that's, that's what was going on. So with that in mind, now listen to what the Medrash says, because the Medrash wants to teach something beyond that, but it does so in a very surprising way. What it says is that as Adam named each of the animals, he mated with them. In other words, he had relations with each of the animals. Now, if you think about that for a second, it's very unlikely that actually happened. Think about a person and an ant. Like, how, how does that take place? So if that's the case, though, why did the rabbis go out of their way to phrase it in this particular way? What truth were they trying to communicate? And so I would like to offer an explanation to this, which I think gives us an insight 
into who we are as a people. Now, there's one important P.S. to this story, which is that after Adam names the animals, Chava, his wife, appears. So that's, that's very interesting, and that's very much related to his naming of the animals and this sort of shocking medrash, or this shocking way that the rabbis are communicating this truth to us. So how does that tie in? The fact that Chava, Eve, Adam's soulmate, the completion of his personage, comes about after this whole process. What's the connection? So I was taught the following, that what Adam had to understand in a very, very deep way was that he was not an animal. So it was more than just a process of naming the animals. He had to understand that he wasn't one of them. And if you think about it, it must have been very confusing being the first person surrounded by all this wildlife all around you. Like, why wouldn't you think that you're just another expression of of this teeming life force that's manifesting itself in all these different forms we call wild animals, right? Why wouldn't you think that? And so Adam goes through this process and he realizes, I am not an animal. I'm something different. I'm something higher. And of course, there's the famous Ankylos, the teaching that when God breathed the living soul into Adam, that Ankylos translates that as that God put the talking soul in Adam, meaning to say that human beings, one of our primary ways of distinguishing ourselves from the animals is the fact that we could talk. So now this raises a question on the Medrash, which is, if Adam knew he could talk and none of the other animals are talking, well then, why does the Medrash have to go out of its way to say that he had relations with them if he already had a very concrete way of knowing that he was different from them? Do you hear the question? So in other words, the rabbis must be communicating something deeper. And of course they are. So in order to delve into this medrash a little bit deeper, let's try to understand the nature of our own souls. There's five parts to the soul. There's the nefesh, the ruach, the neshama, the chaya, and the yechida. That's one way of understanding the soul. But there's another classification for the soul as well, which is in two parts. There's the nefesh sichlius and the nefesh behema. Okay, so what, what does that mean? So the nefesh behema means the animalistic soul. The nefesh sichlius is like seichel, is the thinking aspect of us, the higher part of us. But we all have this animal soul, which is related to that first part of the, that five-part breakdown, the nefesh. So what is the animal soul, the nefesh behema? Well, that's really in charge with keeping your physical being going. That's going to keep your blood circulating, your heart pumping, your livers and your kidneys functioning. It's going to tell you, I need to eat. I need shelter. I need fill in the blank. That is the animal soul. And we all have a nefesh behema. 
And now I think we're arriving at something deeper in terms of our understanding of the Midrash. And I'd like to explain it in the following way, which is after Adam makes his rounds and names all the animals, he comes to the realization, yes, I am not an animal. Yes, I am different. But can I ask you something? What about the nefesh behema, the animal soul within himself? What about the animal soul within ourself? That's a deeper understanding that you're not an animal. And so I think that's why the rabbis communicated in this way. The Torah uses this phrase when it talks about intimate relations, like Adam knew Eve. It uses this word das, which is this combination of things, this joining of things. Like we say, hachma bina das. In other words, first there's that flash of wisdom, then there's more of an understanding, it gets a little more fleshed out, and then it becomes concretized in plan form, in a very practical way, when it becomes das. In other words, something becomes realized. And so that level of knowledge, to really fully understand I'm not an animal, it's not just enough to point to a lion or a bear or a tiger or a wolf and say I'm not that, something external to me. If one really wants to integrate this knowledge in an internal way and in a deeper way, they also have to point within themselves and say, that desire is not me. And so that's why I think the rabbis expressed this medrash in the way that they did. Now let me put this in another way. The Jewish wedding ceremony exists in two parts. Under the chuppah, there's the arusin and the nesuin. So the first part says, all other people are forbidden to you. And now that it's just the two of us in the whole world, I am allowed to you. Right? And now we come together. And now there's oneness. And so in terms of Adam naming the animals, and then comes Chava, right? The process would be like this. First, he looks around at all the animals in the world, including the animal in himself. And he says, all of that is not me. I am my divine soul. And now Chava is there. And he realizes, this is the one who's going to help me with my divine soul and lift me up. Now, very interestingly, the word Adam is naming all the different creatures. The word Ish, which means man, is not used in the Torah until after Adam meets Chava. Isn't that interesting? In other words, Adam doesn't understand fully who he is yet until he's with his wife. Amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Okay. Now, let's take this to the next step and bring in Noah. Now, this recognition, this enlightenment that I am my divine soul starts to fall apart over the next 10 generations between Abraham and Noah. And everything falls apart. So much so 
that it says that they composed wedding songs between men marrying animals under the chuppah. Okay, so you see how everything like devolved and fell apart. And not only that, but there's an interesting teaching that says that that it was because of robbery that God brought the flood. And now here's something surprising. Because we were stealing less than a pruta's worth. Now a pruta, or maybe it was two prutas, it's a, that's a denomination, an ancient denomination, which basically means a penny. So now we have to kind of wrap our minds around this. There's murder, there's all sorts of immorality that's absolutely rampant in the generation. And you're telling me that God is destroying the world because people are stealing less than a penny's worth of merchandise? What sense does that make? See, this, this also caters to the slander, to the slander that, that people who don't understand Torah say that God is the God of justice and vengeance of the Old Testament, right? Which is all a bunch of malarkey. God's holiest name, Yudke Vavke, means love, right? So, so, okay, so, but if that's the case, then how do we understand this? The fact that for less than a pruta, the flood was brought. So now listen to this explanation, because it's very, I think, fascinating, very deep. You see, the way the criminal justice system was, brought, was, was established at that point was that, just like we have today, there's a certain minimum amount that you have to have, that has to be in contention in order to go to small claims court. That's American law. And that's ancient and the ancient version of that was that if something was stolen for less than a pruta, then this wasn't something that you could bring to a court of law to adjudicate. So now let's put all these things together. What it meant was people were stealing that amount because they were boldly, arrogantly asserting that the law doesn't apply to me. In other words, the entire social contract was being ripped to shreds with this type of behavior because they were doing crimes that they knew were not prosecutable in order to show that they were above and beyond the law. Amazing. Now, all of a sudden, the idea that for that, the flood was brought. In other words, not only is there immorality, but there's no hope. There's no hope for justice in this culture anymore because everyone thinks that they're above the law and that it doesn't apply to them. And that, that's amazing, right? Okay. So now with that in mind, let's kind of take another perspective of what it means that Noah is in the ark and he's feeding all the animals. Right now we're getting back to the Adam idea right? And the idea that humans were mating with animals and composing wedding songs and everything like this. What needed to be reestablished once God hits the reset button, right? The world is covered with water, like God put the world in a, in a mikvah, basically 40 days and 40 nights. The measure of a mikvah is 40 saw, which is, you know, so, so there's this mikvah element to the restarting and repurifying the world. And now there's Noah floating 
with all the animals, and he is the master of all the animals. He is feeding all the animals. In other words, the divine equilibrium of the nefesh sichlius and the nefesh behema, the divine soul, the animalistic soul, is being rebalanced and rectified again. And that's a tremendous fixing. Man is not an animal. Man has a divine soul. And so that gets reordered and reestablished. Okay, very good. Now let's move to Avraham. Well, before we get to Avraham, there's a problem. And the problem is, is that after Noah starts to rebuild the world, we have the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel is a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating incident. And basically, in a nutshell, what was going on was God promised not to bring a flood again. And so therefore, the, the people decided if we build a civilization that goes all the way up to where the floodwaters can't reach, then once again, we are independent of God and we can do anything that we want. And so when the Medrash says that they, they built this tower to wage war against God, this is what it means. In other words, they're not going to like fling bow and arrows up into the sky and think that they're killing God. That's not it. It's that they wanted to be independent again of their divine souls. Isn't that interesting? So now it's, it's, it's another relapse. Okay, maybe I'm not an animal. But what is my relationship with God? That now becomes the new question. What is my relationship with God? And clearly, post-Noach, maybe we got the animal part right. But in terms of our relationship with God, that was still very much a work in progress. Now, this takes us to the birth of Abraham. And before we get into Abraham, Abraham is basically going to revolutionize our relationship with God, and our divine soul. And everything has a context. And there's a fascinating aspect to Avraham that I don't think is fully known or as widely discussed as maybe it deserves to be. And that is his relationship with his father, specifically in terms of coming to the land of Israel. So if you look at the second to last verse of the previous Parsha, we really meet Avraham in all of his glory in, in Parsha's Lech Lecha. But in Parsha's Noach, there's a little bit of biographical information about Avram, because he's not Avraham yet, and his father Terach. And there's this nugget that is just sitting there, the second to last verse. It says that Terach, Avram's father, journeyed with Avram and Sarai, that's going to be later Sarah, and a couple of other people, and traveled to the land of Canaan, also known as the land of Israel. In other words, that initial journey from Ur-Kazdim, which is in Iraq, to the land of Israel was undertaken by Terach, Avraham's father. 
And then in a play on words, which works in English, the verse says that Terach settled in Haran. In other words, he settled, so to speak, for something less than Israel in this land called Haran, which was on the way to Israel. Isn't that fascinating? We tend to think of the whole beginning of Avraham's story in terms of his relationship with the land of Israel as starting in Parshas Lech Lecha, right? Where it says, go forth, you know, leave your father's home and, and, and all the rest to the land that I will show you. And yet we see that this process actually began with his father. Okay, so now let's try to look more deeply into this. Because the greatness of Abraham really exists in his being able to, on his own, so to speak, discover the oneness of God. That he used his senses, he looked at the world, he used his intellect and his soul, and he was able to really get to a place where he was able to keep all of the Torah, the entirety of the Torah, even before the Torah was revealed. Okay, we're going to see a hint to that in a moment, but, but let's go further. So appearances can be revelatory, right? You only get one chance to make a first impression. On the other hand, appearances can only tell part of the story. You can't tell a book by its cover, right? So deeper things are going on. And I saw a beautiful example of, in terms of, imagine two different people are separately giving a homeless person $1. So on the outside, it looks like the same thing. They both gave the person a dollar. And yet for one of the two people, it was his very last dollar. Wow. Okay, so now you realize, hey, that, that, that's a completely different offering that that person gave. He gave all that he had. And yet from the outside, it looks the same. So let's apply this to Abraham. And Abraham's father is also going to Israel. But he, doesn't, he doesn't quite make it. And then Avraham, of course, he ends up getting there. So, so how are we to understand this? Maybe you can look at it two ways. One way is that Abraham very much existed in the context of his relationship with his father. And just like he didn't get all the way to the land of Israel, but he created this environment where Abraham could do it. It could have just recorded the facts. He left Ur Kazdim and he went to Haran. End of story. But the Torah records something extra, what his dream was, what his desire was. So that's instructive. The very fact that God wished to communicate that his desire was to get to Israel suggests that there was something more going on there. On the other hand, he doesn't make it. Now I want to go deeper in terms of this relationship between Terach and Abraham. So the Gematria, this kind of came to me, the gematria of the numerical equivalent of Terach is 608. And you want to hear something so fascinating? Avram gets the letter He, which is the number five, added to his name. Uh, so what's 608 plus five? That's 613. That's the number of the commandments in the Torah. And what do we say? That Avraham kept all of the mitzvahs in the Torah. And what does that five, that hey, stand for? Well, 
It stands for the five senses. Those are the faculties through which Avraham looked deeply into the world and saw the oneness of God, the presence of God. It stands for the five books of the Torah, which Avraham was already keeping just intuitively before it was even revealed. It stands for the five levels of the soul, right? Including the divine soul, getting that all together. And that's the completion of this evolution from Adam to Noah to Avraham. That Avraham now is forging that relationship with the divine. And he's taking it to the next step. It's not just that he understands it theoretically, but he's going to the land of Israel itself. He's planting himself in that place where we belong, where we thrive. And you know something? For all the people living in Israel, that's the place to be. And for all of us who aren't there, but we can still dream to be there. And that's also meaningful, and that's also a level. So on this Parshish Lech Lecha, which is talking about the command to go to Israel. Remember, Rebbe Eger says, that's a command to every Jew for all time. Never stop moving. Never stop moving. And remember the words of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, that every step a Jew takes, he's heading toward the land of Israel. Even if he's headed in the opposite direction, he's still heading toward the land of Israel. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.